This is Marnie with Maxim and Marnie, um, a podcast with my church community. Um, Maxim is another word for truth. Um, so it's the idea that we want to share people's stories, their vulnerabilities, and, and, and a goal to bring us closer together um, and share a life and do community together. Um, and so today I'm really excited. I have my guest Sue Harvey here today. Hi, Sue. Welcome. Hi, Marnie. Thank do you, you go by Sue or Susan? I would prefer Sue because of Susan a lot at work. Okay, because your oh. email had Susan, and I was thrown by that because I've only yeah. ever known you as Sue. I've only yeah. known you as Sue. So yeah. you have like another life where you're known as Susan. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, now, I met you. Um, I'm a, I mentor high schools and uh, high mm-hmm. schoolers in our ignition program here. And I met you. You were my first family um, where I get to know the high schoolers. And a lot of times... I'll know somebody for four years, and I never see their parents or know their families, um, except for what they tell us about. Um, but you were a parent of a girl, Sarah, your oldest mm-hmm. daughter, um, who was the freshman class um, that I got to be a mentor to and was really special, and I got to be with her all four years. So a, a special connection that we have. Yes. Um, so you are a mom to four girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to start with, do you, does your father go to our church? Yes. So did you grow up here? No. Okay, so tell Can me I how tell this you all about came. Where I grew up? Please tell yeah. me where you grew up. So I grew up in Oak Park, a suburb of Chicago. Yes, very cool, old. Yes. Yes. And actually, my mom grew up as a German Lutheran, and my dad grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church. Okay, so when not they got, familiar with that one. So when they got married, well, they then both became Lutheran. So we, I grew up at United Lutheran in Oak Park. And I got very involved in some youth group activities with one of my girlfriends at her church. So really from the age of like eight, I was doing small groups. Yeah, that's awesome. So faith was a big deal. Yes. And then in my own church, I mean, I was very active with Sunday school, confirmation, Luther League is what we called our small so group. always a positive connotation for oh, you. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, so confirmation mm-hmm. wasn't drudgery for you. Well, I don't remember that it was... I, I don't think I would call it drudgery, but I did like to be at church. And who was in your family? You had so your mom, your my dad. my mom and dad, and then I'm the oldest. I have a brother two years younger, Dave, and then my sister Karen is here in Naperville. And she goes to our church as well. No, she's a good shepherd. Oh, is she? Well, mm-hmm. Megan was here, right? Isn't oh, Megan? Oh, that's my cousin. That, oh, that's her your mom is my cousin. cousin. Yes, and my aunt and uncle go to our saviors. So when okay. we moved out to Naperville, I in made her your cousin, your sister. Sorry, For just well, based on Facebook pictures, I was like, oh, oh that must yeah. be your sister. <laughs> well, we're doubly related. So my mom's brother married her dad's sister. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. <laughs> Your mom's that brother You'll never get that on a blog again. married my dad's sister. So okay. we share all the same grandparents and every holiday. I kind of want to graph. That's really <laughs> fun. Yeah. And then my husband's sister and their family have been at Our Saviors on and off for many years with us, too. Sorry, I jumped ahead. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so that's good. Um but so wait, so you're in Oak Park. You love mm-hmm. that. You have faith in your life in junior mm-hmm. high and high school, a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And then where did you decide to go after high school? 
I went to Augustana College in Rock Island. Yes. And mm-hmm. two daughters? Two of the four, yeah. Have gone there too. Emily graduated alum. and Grace is there now as a junior. Yeah, which is pretty fun. And is that where you met your husband? Yes. And can you tell us about that? Well, it was right in front of the biology building. <laughs> and his little but you brother. Were studying chemistry, not biology? <laughs> Uh, I don't, well, I was doing anatomy and physiology. I don't remember why we were right in front of that building, but (laughs) yeah. So his, you know, one of his friends knew me and introduced us. And from then on? In December of 82. And then, yeah. So dated all through college. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you both graduated and you moved. He graduated first and I was three years later. And so then you guys ended up in Naperville ever since? No, we got married, and he was in graduate school, so we lived in Oak Park. And then we lived in Wheaton when Sarah was born. Okay. And then we moved to Naperville in 93 when Rachel was one. Okay, so um, name your four daughters pretty please, and then give them a one-word or two-word adjective that you think encapsulates their personalities. Can you do that? Oh, boy. Or a brief description. There's no nobody, rules here. Nobody listens to this podcast. No. Yeah, there's no rules Sarah, here. disciplined. Uh-huh. Rachel, wild joy. Oh, I love that. Emily, quiet joy. Okay. Grace, compassion. Oh, I That's love cool. that. Strong women you're raising. Mm -hmm. So you raised them all here. And was there anything you guys did intentionally as parents um, in a faith way? Well, we've always prayed at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a time when the older ones were in high school, I kept a gratitude journal for a year. Um, Wait, so that was a family gratitude journal? Mm-hmm. So during dinner or... I have or, it in my closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dinner. And you would say, everybody go around and say... Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah, it's the highs and lows. Sometimes awesome. you call it something different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Happies and crappies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. I think it's But uh, you specifically really for, said focus on the gratitude part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's really that. good for brain chemistry to like release endorphins. Oh, yeah. Gratitude so. is... I mean, that's a big part of how you can change the way you approach life, I think. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. If I think that's so true of people, when they want mm-hmm. to see the positive, mm-hmm. they will catch it. If you want to see the negative, it's going to be there, my friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have to look for it too hard. Yes. And then, I mean, Pete and I, he grew up in a similar family as I did. So we've always made worship a priority. So we did that and... Did you ever skip at all or have a season where you skipped church? College, 20s. No, I mean, I would say I wasn't as active on campus in college, but certainly when I came home, you know, I couldn't wait to get to church. What is your favorite thing about worship service? What is the thing that fills you up the most? I think community and fellowship. I think communion. um, Yeah. I mean, but I also, you know, music, the promise that we have, and serving. I mean, I've served in church since I was in high school, so. Yeah, because what do you do at the main campus? I'm an assisting minister, 
So that includes sometimes I get to read the lesson, sometimes, you know, hopefully I get to serve communion. I'm also a prayer minister. Tell me about that journey. What? How did you become a prayer minister? Well, I've been part of a women's lift group for 20 years. That's awesome. Like now, I was pregnant with my youngest when I joined. And I, I think some of the members in the group maybe got me involved because we have several in our group who are prayer ministers. So um, I think learning, I think in that group, I learned more about prayer and how I could serve in that way. So like be given permission to say mm-hmm. or whatever the, the need what was do we and say? How, to, how to pray. Yeah. 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 Who do you think um, you most admire the way that they pray or the way that you tend to say, oh, I love the language they use? Oh, or Jan Dusek. Yeah, and what about the way she prays or the words she uses? Or well, I think what I've learned is, it's it's simple talking, right? It's not necessarily a script or something that we're going to forget, right? So I mean, I have things I definitely say when I'm a prayer minister, right? That you rely on, mm-hmm. um, and when you pray. Uh, because I've never been um, bold enough to do that with someone else back there. Um, like if I go back and I say, my aunt's really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in praying like I will pray for 100% healing or I will pray for wisdom for us to understand what's happening? Or mm-hmm. how, like what is your, how do you feel like God works on that? So I'm, I would start by saying your servant Marnie comes before you today, and we're asking for comfort and peace for her aunt and wisdom for those caring for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so rather than making some false promise. Direct, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's really good. Because we don't always know. We I mean, don't. certainly we can pray for anything, but yeah. I want it to feel comforting. I don't want it to, yeah, be a false. One of the coolest things. I I think these are all permissions. You were given permission Mm -hmm. to to use comfortable language and words. Mm -hmm. And so one of the greatest permissions I've ever been given is from the Bible with sighs too deep for words that sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't have something to say, but we can just be together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's enough. So when I did my Mm -hmm. hospital work and it's called CPE, clinical pastoral education, you had to learn to go and visit people in some like horrible moments of their life. Mm-hmm. And um, um, what my supervisor said this time, uh, you know, he was kind of with me, but he's like, I don't want you to say anything. Don't let your words get in the way. Just be there for them. I remember sitting with this, this elderly woman, her husband's, you know, in the process of dying. And I literally just sat there with my hand kind of like on her back, mm-hmm. just with her. And that was a prayer enough and like she, she thanked me for it. And I didn't have to say, it wasn't a game we were playing, but he's like, just don't stumble over yourself. Just, just be there with her. And it was the coolest permission ever. Well, and you know, I'm a hospice social I worker. I was just going to so say, perfect segue sounds, to your career. Yeah. I would like to hear all about this. How did you mm-hmm. end up in this line of work? So back in the eighties, I did major in social work in college. And then I worked down at Michael Reese Hospital for, I think, about three years. And I'm not familiar. That hospital is... It's now torn down. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't know it either, so... <laughs> it and was that was in the city 31st or? Street and the lake. Okay. okay. And 
so then it wasn't really until 2010 that I kind of had an eye-opening experience where I realized I had to get back to school. And you might not know, it was between seminary or my MSW. Okay. So I kind of, you know, I did, I had done spiritual direction for a year earlier in the 2000s. What does that mean? That means I met with a pastor every week. I think it was like for a full year, Pastor Jan Jones. And so that was to help me discern my future. So then when I decided um, that getting my MSW would be the best path with a family and so what, Pastor Jan Jones was a pastor in the area or? Yeah, she was at Our Saviors. Oh, she was here. Mm-hmm. And so and she's what still she in our would, community now. Too. Oh, yeah. she is. She, okay. was, she might worship <clears throat> at five. And mm-hmm. so did she do like, like ask you survey questions or was it more in depth? A lot of it was where is God in this? So we would talk about different things in my life, things I was experiencing. So it kind of, that was the question we usually would come back to. So give me, can you give me an example of that? Because I think that's very interesting. Where is God in what moment? Oh, okay. Well, is it in parenting your children? Is mm-hmm. it as a wife? Is it uh, seeking, you know, what are your gifts? As you discern who are you becoming? Who do you want to become? Yeah. And I how mean, you, old were you when you were doing this? Oh, geez. Well, I was in my 40s when I did the spiritual direction. This is so affirming to me right now. Yes, oh, I yeah. love it. Well, so I will also tell you my mom died at 47. Okay. So I started graduate school at 47. That's kind of beautiful. Yeah. So to me, it was kind of, I think, my way of I am living. I am yeah, really living. affirmed in life. What did, can you talk about your mom dying at 47? Why would she have died at 47? Um, she had breast cancer. Yeah. Yuck. We've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So at 40 something, 47, mm-hmm. you go back. Mm-hmm. And so now you work in hospice care. Yeah. Tell me. And I am thriving. And I, yeah, I have a certification in thanatology, which is the study of death, dying and bereavement. And I have two advanced certifications in social work with hospice and palliative care. I want to hear all of the details. I don't mean to jump to this question first off, but um, is Oregon the only state that you can take something to actively die? I think there might be another one or two, but I can't remember. Washington, Washington I think just it's joined Washington them. And and Oregon. Then, yeah. Washington, Oregon. And how do you feel about that? <clears throat> Being in a situation where you've seen people do the very, very hard work of dying, where it doesn't always come in our time frame, or when we would see there is only pain left. I'm not opposed to it. Okay. However, if you work in hospice, yes. you cannot be present yes. and participate in something like that. Sure. So I generally am not judging people's choices. Yes. But I would have to be careful as a professional. To comment on it. Well, no, you just, you can't be present if something like that is occurring. Has that ever happened during your time working? Well, no, I mean, it couldn't happen in Illinois, but I'm just well, saying... But like nobody a, has said, I'm going to go off to Oregon or I'm going to go off to Washington. Nobody. Oh, I think people make that 
statement and that choice, but not that I've worked not with. Not that you've no. been with, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think most people know what hospice care is, mm-hmm. but maybe you, do you have like a better, um, mm-hmm. a healthy definition compared yeah. to like someone's old thought process yeah. of what yes. in their mind it was? Because yeah. that might be helpful too. I think the myth of hospice care is that it's for someone who is dying and it's for the last 48 hours of life. But what we know from research is that really it's more beneficial if a patient and family gets the support at least for three months. And when someone is uh, deemed eligible for hospice, it's because two doctors say that if their disease runs its natural, you know, natural course without treatment, they could die in six months. But it doesn't mean that everybody dies in six months. There right. are people who live longer, and it's up to us as a team to say why they are still eligible, and that's what we do. And certainly people can graduate. And so, so does the weight of the death or the sadness of the families weigh heavy on you, or is there a hope or a freedom or a lightness that you experience I from their spirits kind of being released from these bodies that are betraying them? You know, I think my mom's death very much informs how I feel, mm. so I don't feel a weight. I think what you were talking about being present with families and, I mean, knowing how to use the silence is a big part of social work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's something we're trained in. And, you know, I am not in the field right now. I'm a manager of a team, but I am guiding my team, you know, making sure we're doing the best we can for our patients. And so your advice to them when they go into homes is mainly quiet listening? We'll always meet the patient and family where they are. We want to ask, you know especially when we meet someone for the first time, tell me what you know about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because we're experts in end-of-life care, but it doesn't mean that the family or the patient know what to expect or what's going on. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. The only time I've experienced um, a hospice care worker was with my grandmother, um, and she was in her home still, and they would come and visit, kind of, and Mm -hmm. then... I don't mean to be macabre, but would give us signs of death because that's what we were wishing and praying and hoping for for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was very interesting to me. But they Mm -hmm. were very, every single one of them, they would come, I think, just once a day. They would deliver the morphine. They would check on her. Mm -hmm. They would spend time in her her room checking on her, but then they would really service us. Oh, yeah. That's the the whole people that were taking care. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you. Or your team are caretakers of caretakers. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's the whole point of hospice. It's not just for the patient. It's for all those in their circle. And I just think we live in a world where that's just so needed. Oh, yeah, definitely. So these caretakers maybe have been dealing for years Mm -hmm. with losing who they married, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not... Well, that's the hard part about when we do come in and it's only 24 or 48 hours Mm -hmm. left. I mean, certainly bereavement support is available after the death, but yeah, if the support can be there sooner, there's really value in that. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and what, how would you describe death? How would you, what is your outlook on death? Like when you said your mother dying at 47 really doesn't give you a weight. Like how, how do you look at it or how do you? Well, I mean, for my mom, I mean, cancer, it just kind of takes everything away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a gradual, for her it was gradual. And she didn't look like herself. She didn't behave like herself because it was in her brain. Mm. So for me, it was a blessing when she died. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, my I think all of us would probably agree that, you know, she still lives on in all of us mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What would you describe her as before she got sick? Oh, man. Well... She was a big supporter of different philanthropic groups in Oak Park. She was a faith-filled woman. woman. She was the life of the party. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Always throwing the parties and, yeah. So yeah. it was, I mean, it was a shocking time. Yeah. And so now your dad lives where? He's in Naperville. He's in Naperville. Not far from me. So, and he is in your life? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, he's very, he's always been very active with us, um, always, like, he was a babysitter for us, you know, when our kids were growing up. Yeah. Um, because my mom had died before Sarah was born. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when Sarah got to be the age where she could stay with her sisters, we laughed about, you know, Papa getting competition. Yeah. <laughs> so he's always been involved. Okay, and I hate to circle back because the people are going to be confused if they get it more than I get it. So he's Megan's grandpa as well. Nope. No. Her grandma is my dad's sister. Okay, so that's her great uncle? Yeah. Okay. I okay, guess. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just see those <laughs> connections and I want to make sure I'm reading it right. I should draw a picture. Yeah. Um, can I circle back to raising your four daughters? Because um, now they're kind of grown and flown. I know Mostly, you're always yeah. still a parent. And yeah. I feel like sometimes people say, I feel like I do more as a grandma or even, mm-hmm. you know, as adult women. Um, do you feel like you were a parent, your parenting style was to parent them all the same? Or do you feel like they each received very individualized parenting? Or can you talk about that? Because I think that's interesting. I think I would say individualized. Yeah. Well, because all of us have different needs. Yeah. Right? So I just had a friend where this isn't a great example, but if he sent somebody money um, because they were in college, the other brother was in high school, but he would give them the exact same amount of money, like immediately, like oh, apples and apples or oranges and oranges or, or, you know, they got a car at this time. So now you get a car at this time. Oh, yeah. Nobody or, gets a car. Nobody, so I guess we're pretty even that way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but just super. So what would you say about nature versus nurture? Would you say, like, they're all such different personalities and such different human beings, or they have shared commonalities from being raised in the same home? Hmm. I think there are commonalities Mm -hmm. from being raised in the same home. And what I'm hearing as they get older is that they're grateful for how we raise them. Well, isn't that a compliment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We just heard this Labor Day weekend. Well, that's really validating. No, not for the first (laughs) time. I had heard it earlier from one of my other daughters, um, probably eight or nine years ago. So I think 
there's commonality that way that we maybe valued things and tried to teach certain things to all of them. Yeah. So whatever they grab onto is kind of the. <laughs> did you did they think that you guys were strict? Would they have been like they were strict, yes, or they were I not? Think, no, I think they would say strict. But I think what I just learned recently was, thank they were. She, well, the one in particular was grateful that we were the parents. Yeah. Because really, it, it yes. wasn't until yes. Grace turned 18 that I started loosening up around sure. them. Sure. Okay. And Rachel was the one that noticed it. She's like, well, yeah, Grace, her baby's 18. She can, you know, if it's say a certain word or, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. just behave just a little differently. Okay. Interesting. So you felt like the modeling behavior that you chose to be in front of them was Mm -hmm. what I wish for you to be or Mm -hmm. just how I wish you to act. And so now, now that I've pretty much taught you, let's, let's do this. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Well, it's sort of like the, the hard work was at the beginning and now that you're, you're adults, we can enjoy, you can, you really enjoy your daughters as adults. Yes. And I think that's something that's, that's kind of cool, actually, to think about mm-hmm. as a new parent. Like, yeah, I don't have to be his friend right now. Transitioning right. into that role at a mm-hmm. one point in their lives. Because now, cool. would you I, say I that you're friends with your older daughters? Like, have you, do you reach... Oh, I think with all of them. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. But, I mean, it's funny because if we're out, you know, like Emily lives at home. So if we're out with her and Sarah will see a picture and... Oh man, yeah. you get to have so much fun. <laughs> well, yeah, because when she was Emily's age, Grace was only 13. Uh-huh. So I'm still modeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think that so will So what's cause... the age stretch? Sorry. What's yeah. the age difference? Well, between the oldest and youngest, there's 10 years. Oh. Right. Yeah, what so, were you going to say? I was going to say, does that make them want to move from Texas to here when they see how much fun you are now? Well, Louisiana well, that's now. Louisiana. Oh, oh. Yeah. No, What's I don't all? think that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. My husband always says, we have three girls, and he always says, you all can move, but you need to agree on the location so we can just follow you there, yeah. and we can do life together as adults. Yeah. I never put is. that out there. <laughs> well, and I think, what are you going to do? It's, I mean, we're yeah. saying it with tongue in cheek. I mean, yeah. I don't think, well, you yeah. can't stalk one. They no. might fly different times in right. different places. Yep. Yeah. So you feel like, did you cry a lot when they left for school? Or was that very an exciting time for you? Or what were the feelings that you had? Which year? Like okay. preschool, kindergarten, <laughs> junior high, I'm thinking high college, <laughs> like moving out. Or, yeah, or which was I mean, the hardest I think, transition? I think there are tears all during life. Yeah. Or if not tears, at least feeling like you're going to cry because your child is crying. <laughs> yeah. I just remember Kathy Wishnew um, when Katie Ellen went away and she was like, I mean, I'm just really sad about it and I'm just mad that she's gone or something. Mm-hmm. And then she felt like she was being judged from other moms and they were like, mm-hmm. well, you should be happy. And she's like, of course, I'm thrilled yeah. that she's where she's at. Mm-hmm. But my heart's a little broken being a mom. And I just thought that was so real and honest. Like, okay, good to know. I think for me, and my girls would agree, the tears were usually leaving Sarah and when she would leave Naperville after she was out of college Mm -hmm. and moved out of state. Yeah. Especially after Kensley was born. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
which is her granddaughter, and now she has a grandson. Right, mm-hmm. because those babies, you just want to be around yeah. them, right? They're real yep. good looking. Um, what? Um, so you grew up in Oak Park, so a Chicago girl. Did you ever want to live anywhere else? No. Yeah, Illinois is home. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is the most exciting place that you've traveled to? Travel. Or different culture that you've experienced? Well, okay, so in eighth grade... I had taken Spanish since the time I was in like six or seven years old. Oh my goodness. Not continuously, but I started in first grade and then picked it up again in junior high. So in eighth grade, I went to Mexico with on a class your, trip with my with teacher and he had to speak Spanish. Yeah. And so were you blown away that they didn't look like Oak Park or that they were less? Um, no, I don't think blown away. I mean, I think. No, I mean, I think I was already starting to appreciate differences. I yes. mean, there were, I was with people who were different from me. Yes. From the time I was young. So, so Oak Park was pretty diverse. There was diversity, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you have a bucket list of where you would like to go still? Anywhere that you would like to see or experience or go to? Or oh, serve man. on a mission trip, for instance, Mozambique oh, yeah. next year? Well, I mean, I would love to be able to do those things, but I just, right now, I can't. In this season. So, I mean, you know, tracing Luther's steps in Germany would be awesome. Going to Haiti would be awesome. Going to Slovakia, I would love to do. Yeah. Going to a beach. Yeah. <laughs> on but, the, the, right. the con side, I was going to say on the pro side, on the con side, nobody can go to Haiti right now. Right. So, so I'm not missing you're out. Not, yeah. <laughs> It probably, unfortunately, won't happen for a while because they're going to have their elections right. in like a month yeah. or this month. So, yep. what? Tense. Where have you, um, what is the best thing that you've done in service in our church? Because I know you've been around for a long time and done different service projects with your kids. What is uh, one that well, stands out to you? Well, I think for me, oh man, when did this even, I don't even remember what year it started, but it was called Club Med mm-hmm. and it was a women's ministry. And in fact, that's where I was on 9-11 because we did a Tuesday morning session and a Tuesday evening, I think, at that time. So my sister-in-law, Cindy, and I were actually in charge of the food. And there was always a theme, and someone would plan the theme in the program. Someone else would plan the craft, and then we would plan the food that went along with the theme. And who is the population that's coming to this? Adult women. So wow. you just loved that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because um, I feel like all of your girls have had such amazing opportunities to serve, and I just feel like that gives... Oh, yeah. Yeah, what were some mm-hmm. of their favorites? Well, I don't know. I mean, I... Yeah, to speak I'm for sure them. the ones that went to Slovakia loved that, but one of them didn't go to Slovakia, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, like across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to ask you? I just mind blanked. Well, I can't read your mind. Marnie. Oh, I, I was going to say, you, you mentioned 9 11. Um, what was, where were you? So, since Club it is 9 11. So, Grace was only, what was she, two years old at that time, my youngest. Wow. So, I was getting the two off to school. They might have already left, the two middle ones. And then I was at home, so I saw the first tower hit on the TV, and then we had to leave to come to church to get started. Mm-hmm. And 
we were in meeting, and Pastor Jack Nemi was the senior pastor. So he would come in every now and then to do, like to give us an update and kind of let us know what was happening. So it was a very safe place to be. Yeah, to hear that news. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel like that impacted you? Like, what was that experience like resonating in your future um, opinions? Like, I feel like it was such a time of pride um, in living in the United States post that. But then there was also a lot of fear. I was just telling my middle daughter, like, there were no flights, I think, for three days. I don't think there was a flight. Well, I think for me, it really brought home like the idea of God's love for everybody mm-hmm. and how are we going to figure that out in our lives. I mean, for a social worker, it's important for me to be culturally competent and culturally curious. But then how do Sue, I live that out bravo. in my life? I love this. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so many times, and I feel like there was such a thought of just then fear that mm-hmm. turned into not love. Right. And not understanding and grace. Mm-hmm. So you just feel like you, you, so you took classes on that, like for being trained? Well, certainly in graduate school, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. learning about other cultures. Yeah. Because you would go in and service all cultures. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, the important thing to remember is that everyone in a group is not the same. Absolutely. Right? So every Catholic is not the same and every Muslim is not the same. And every hundred percent, you know, every person in the same race is not the same. Yes. And, you know, so, I mean, I think that is There's a big part of so much what I, where I grew. Can mm-hmm. you tell me about an example of when you were um, actually serving a family that had a different experience than a Christian one? Can you share without betraying a confidence or just of the uniqueness or the differences that were there that were um, interesting or beautiful? So this to me, this is kind of a funny. Sometimes I have like Lucy moments as a social worker because Lucy is one of my favorite comedians. I love Lucy, Lucille Ball. So when in hospice, we're going into people's homes. So if mm-hmm. they live in a nursing home, we go to the nursing home. If we go to their private home, you know, and I was... It was a family that was, um, I think they were Hindu, mm-hmm. and so I was trying to be respectful and ask questions to be culturally curious because mm-hmm. I can't claim to know everything about right. them. So I was asking the patient's son about, like, is there anything we need to know at the time of death as far as, like, preparation of the body or... You know, it would be important for our team to know. I can note it in the computer. Mm -hmm. I can make sure we know. Oh, no. Well, then it turns out at the time of death, they did want our team to help move the body to the floor, wrap it in cloths. Well, so I kind of then wondered, well, is it the women in the culture that would know more about that? Because certainly the son wasn't able to clue us in. And Uh I just... I kind of, you know, hit myself in the forehead and said, oh, I felt like I missed something, but I tried. Yes. (laughs) And so So, because the Hindu would be reincarnated, that would be the thought process. And so then they were wrapping them in cloths of his old body. It was part of, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so lots of different cultures, some with lots of family members around, Mm -hmm. and then what, and then... Loud, some quiet. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. I'm sure probably one of the the harder situations are when you can obviously tell there's great tension Mm. between family members. Those are my favorites. Oh, they are. Oh, yes. I'll send them to you from here on out. Yes. Please (laughs) tell us why. Well, I love conflict because I love those difficult conversations and trying. I've had family meetings like that where there's like eight people. And, you know, and what one is disagreeing on the hospice care it happens or a lot. this isn't what <laughs> mom ticked. wants or what ticked. it could be all of the above. Yeah. It, I mean, you might have, you know, if you look at the body language in the room, you know, this person is sitting right close to me, looking at me. Uh-huh. These people are behind me on the couch. Don't mm-hmm. really want to be involved. Yeah, I mean, just all kinds of... Can you give me an example of how you um, disperse that conflict? Or or how do you handle it? Because you say you like conflict. I think that is a very unique characteristic. So I think in hospice, the important thing to remember is that we always want to know what the goals are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this case, it was a patient with advanced uh, Alzheimer's, I think. So the patient was not very responsive Mm -hmm. and was not going to be able to tell us goals but to talk with the family, you know, what is our goal now? Can we all come together and agree that we want mom to be comfortable? We want, you know, maybe you, John, or Mary want to play music for her when you come. Maybe Susie wants to provide hand massage. You know, how can you all Mm -hmm. be a part of things and help meet the goals? And even, you know, I've had very difficult meetings with couples where there's a lot of conflict. And if I just come back to, you know, your husband's goal is this. Mm. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. You know, so if we can get back to the goals and where we can all think the same or recognize the same thing. I'm you have really just helped proud me. Of you. Yeah, you have just helped me out. The next time I'm doing funeral planning, and you mm-hmm. can just tell that these siblings just cannot mm-hmm. stand to be in the same room with one another. I can bring it mm-hmm. back to say, how can we honor your yes. parents' yes. life? Yep. Well, and she, you they, use the word goals, goals right? Like, yeah. what is the goal here? Yeah. Right. And you feel like that word And you give tasks, you give mm-hmm. you you have them yes. have ownership in it. Mm-hmm. That was person. awesome. You're oh, welcome. Thank you. Thank yep, you. I thank would you. never have guessed in a million years that you would have said I like conflict <laughs> and I'm good well, at like putting I, it out. I think that's an awesome She's owning skill. it. She's owning oh, yeah. it that you and know I the right speak, questions. That. I speak in public as part of my job. So one of the topics I talk on is having difficult conversations. So oh. I love it. Well, can you give us some more advice or other tidbits or what would be like a... So, okay. I think an important thing that I've researched recently that I include in my talks is you might know what your intention is when you say something to somebody, but you never know what the impact will be. I Uh. think this is huge. I (laughs) I think I just learned this like a couple... Several months ago, I had a conversation um, at my bus stop, and I walked away, and I was like, that felt really weird, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure why, Mm -hmm. and I texted the person, and they didn't respond, which was unusual, so I was Mm -hmm. like, something is definitely going on, and then in my head, I think, I don't know, I got, is it defensive or whatever, but I thought, well, my intention 
this is my intention. Mm-hmm. And then I thought when they weren't responding, I had time to be thoughtful. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't actually matter what you intended here. Mm-hmm. Clearly, mm-hmm. that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. And so you just need to say, right. I'm sorry for how that was received. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to explain what my goal was because no. I don't know if it mattered. Right. That's so yes. interesting. Yes. And so how do you how do you how do you fix that in, in going into situations if well, my then, intention doesn't matter? So you can check in, right? I can say, um, you know, the way you're sitting makes me think maybe you don't want to be here with me talking about, you know, your mom's decline. Why don't you tell me some about that? And then, you know, they, someone could get very defensive and say, why? Why'd you say that? What are you talking about? Or they could say, oh, I'm glad you noticed. You're right. I'm thinking about getting home. I got to cook dinner. I have to get to work. And I have to take care of my mom. And, you know, so I think it's always asking the question and checking in. So asking the question helps with defining where your intention is coming from. And so then it Well, it helps, helps to like, know what the impact is. What so the I just impact said, is. This is what I just said to you. Yep. Tell me, yep. you know. What do yeah. you think about that or what? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good because I think sometimes people can cling to when someone has oh. been hurt to, <laughs> well, that wasn't my intention. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to say, mm-hmm. you said the word impact. That doesn't, yeah. So what you wouldn't say, it doesn't matter your intention or what words would you say? It, what matters more is the impact. Is the impact. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that can happen like in a marriage, right? Oh, like any I'm relationship, speaking, any conversation. Yes. I go. mean, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm saying it this way, but if your life partner doesn't hear it that way, mm-hmm. you probably need to change the right. words you're using. Right. But also, yeah, okay, that's okay, really back. powerful. So, so I'll, I'll use my relationship where Mandy has been really wise, though, too, because She's like, but stop thinking that I, I'm, I'm out to get like, so I understand. Yeah. Projection intention mm-hmm. is, isn't there, but at the same time, I can't think the worst of her either. Does that make sense to misinterpret everything she says? Well, I and that's what trips us up in believe the in your fourth daughter's name and think mm-hmm. everyone should live in yeah. grace and give it, yeah, yeah, give yeah. it so much more than there people was purpose tend to in do. That name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I can't a always save the world. Yeah. I mean, if people thought the best of people, Yes. Be a different world. Yes. Uh Well, and Mm -hmm. I think, too, um, the, oh, I think, some people, I think, get caught up in the uniqueness. Well, I think this way about me because this is how people have treated me. Well, in the world, a thousand people have been treated that way before Mm -hmm. and other people are being treated that way. So if you looked at the room, no? Or, Or what? Am I saying that wrong? Like... I would like to hear more about yeah. what you're asking. Like, I feel like um, sometimes people can think they're the only ones that something has happened to. Or Oh, well, right. But, I mean, that's going to have to do with coping and so much more than I think we want to try to answer here. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're awesome. Do you have a PhD? Is that your... Do you have your doctorate? No, but close. Oh, My master's, say, though. Yeah, I just the way you're owning it. I'm like, oh, I want to hear a TED talk from you. <laughs> yeah. Where, so yeah, you next. have your your master's was in say it again social work. 
Oh, wait, what was the other word that you used? Oh, the you specialty. T- uh, oh, thanatology. Th- thanatology. Yeah. yeah, that's a fancy word. It is. And you said that that's the study of death. Death, dying, and, and bereavement. And bereavement. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like in learning about that, it also helped you to really define life? Oh, yeah. In what but ways? But I also think my mom's death defined my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am generally a very positive person, and I am generally excited about being alive because I lived past 47. Yeah. That's awful. But also, people could experience that loss and be the opposite of what you just described because of that. So that's sort oh, of yeah. beautiful. Oh, yeah. That that has been the well, path I, that you've chosen. I mean, I do believe that God has a plan. So I just have to listen. Uh, do you feel like you've ever um, clearly uh, been aware of that? And how was that communicated to you? Well, yes, I will tell you a funny story. So my first job in hospice was in Aurora. And... I was doing supervision for my license, my clinical license. We were talking about things in my job, and I wore a lot of hats in that position. And this super, you know, the woman I was talking to said, you know, maybe you want to check out the organization that I'm currently with, Journey Care, because then you can focus on doing social work and whatever. So I said, oh, okay. And, you know, a little time went by, and I actually networked. I was in a networking group out of Batavia, And there was a woman there from my organization, from this organization that I was seeking, (laughs) like, a connection to. And so she connected me with a social worker. I tried to talk with this woman, and it never worked. And then I checked back in with this gal, and I said, oh, you know, I never connected with so-and-so, but I'd really like to know more about the organization. She said, well, tonight there's a um, career fair going on until 6 o'clock in Barrington. And I thought, what? I am in Aurora. How am I going to get to Barrington? Yeah, (laughs) you're not. You're not, actually. So luckily, my daughter Rachel was home. I think she was either in college or just graduated. Amended my resume for me, emailed it to me. I got it at FedEx Kinko's on her orchard. (laughs) Wow. Printed five copies, flew up to Barrington and got there by 10 to 6. Oh my gosh. Had an interview. And then two months late, that was like a introductory interview. Like it wasn't for a position. And then two months later, they called me. So, oh yes, that was the Holy Spirit carrying me up to Barrington. (laughs) And so that's who you work for now. Yes. That is the parent company, mm-hmm. but that is hospice care. We do a lot more than hospice care, but that's what I'm in. That is your mm-hmm. area. Yes. Yeah. And sorry, I'm going to sidetrack this. You no longer work with my friend John, but you did previously, uh, Berkstrom. Oh, right. No, we're still in the or same you're organization. you're still in the same. Okay, okay. So I was the social worker on the team that he is still on. Okay. So then I... Moved, moved over to being a manager yeah. on a different team, okay. and I'm out of Lombard now. I saw him and his wife, Amanda, like a month ago, and it was like a quick hi, yeah. but because uh, I was doing security, but but I f- totally forgot that we had that connection, yeah. and yeah. so, yeah, uh, seminary 
friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's always cool to see them, but like it's a small world. You always have it to be is. on your best behavior. Yeah. Forgot they knew Sue Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, you said you're a manager. What do you think makes a great manager? I've stumped you. I can think, I can like see something on LinkedIn, but I can't come up with the words. I mean, being a leader and a manager is being with the team. It's not like a top down, hit you over the head. It's how can we do this together? Kind of getting back to goals. You know, what's the goal of our team? Well, our goal is patient care, excellent patient care. Yeah. So how can we all... Yeah, you're a good coach. Achieve that. You can yeah. be a good coach. I've loved talking to you. I feel like I've learned a lot that I did not know about you, Sue Harvey. Well, I'm glad you learned something. Yeah, I feel like you're just really wise and articulate and uh, experienced in ways I would have never have guessed. So I loved getting well, to know you. Thank you. Is there anything we're forgetting that you think, oh my gosh, I have to tell you this? The time oh. I went streaking. Nope, <laughs> I didn't. I've never done that. No, I just think you have to remember that I'm a Grammy and a mom and a wife. Yeah. 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 I I just, I love when you, when you hear this full story, the connection from, you know, you've been in the church your whole life. You've Mm -hmm. connected that to the work that you do. I think it's very beautiful. I'm a servant leader. I think that's what I've. And, and even your, your, yeah, your servanthood in Mm -hmm. being a, um, a prayer minister, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I really do feel you sharing this story will help people to, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of dignity in the work that you do in the many different areas. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bravo. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye everybody. Bye. Goodbye.